morning. I want to invite you to join me in Colossians chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 22, chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 1. As we approach this text, um, I'll just encourage us with the reminder. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. And that is a hope-filled promise, but it also encourages us to look at our lives and see how he may or may not be changing everything, (laughs) which is a truth that drives us back to the gospel, back to Jesus. Let us, with that understanding, turn to the Lord and ask for his blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Would you bow with me? Father, as we approach this text, would you... Would you grant us understanding? Father, would you grant us a willingness to listen and to examine our own hearts? And in examining, would you point us ever more clearly to Jesus? And do this we ask in his name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Can we for a moment uh, imagine a couple of scenarios? Let's imagine for a moment that it is not Sunday morning. Let's imagine for a moment it is, in fact, Tuesday morning. Let's imagine you are a nurse working on the COVID unit. You're tired, exhausted, dealing with a year of heavy workload, tough circumstances, and additional protocols. And now all of a sudden, your boss, whether it be the charge nurse or a doctor, adds additional protocols for you to follow as you go about your duties. And oh, by the way, your floor is a nurse short. (laughs) Let's imagine... You are a student. You may or may not have done your homework the night before. You come in on Tuesday and you have these big plans for the weekend and your teacher adds an assignment for the following Monday. Your plans just went out the window. 
Imagine for a moment you're a salesperson. Last year was a good year. But now your boss is setting your goals for the coming year. And he's building those goals on top of what you did last year. Now, now imagine it is not Tuesday morning, but it's Tuesday lunch. And imagine on your lunch break, you open your Bible. And as you're making your way through the New Testament, you come to Colossians chapter 3. You come to this passage. How does it sit? How does it sit on Tuesday morning when you're dealing with real life? Maybe not well. Why is that? Why is it? Because maybe we don't like authority. Maybe we struggle with motivations. And this text, among many others, speaks right into the issues of our heart when it comes to authority. And it exposes something deep within us. What it exposes flies in the face of what I've come to see as cultural compartmentalized Christianity. What is cultural compartmentalized Christianity? Well, you know what it is. It's, I'll go do church on Sunday, but let's not let it bleed over too much into the week. Obey in everything? Really? You don't know who my boss is. Obey from the heart. I deserve more than that. I'm a Christian for Pete's sake. I deserve to be liberated from the earthly bondage that I deal with. Isn't that what the gospel offers for me? Cultural compartmentalized Christianity sees the gospel as a ticket to heaven with very little impact in my day-to-day life. There's an irony to that, though. Because, you see, we think about the gospel as a ticket to heaven, but we think very little about heaven. We don't have an earth, we, have, we don't have a heavenly perspective. We have an earthly perspective. And the irony is that if we would capture a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective, it would greatly change the way we lived on Tuesdays. So let's unpack all of this in the context of the workplace. But first, we need to deal with a topic, the topic of of slavery. Maybe, Maybe as you were looking through this passage and you heard me read the word bondservant, maybe, maybe you looked at the footnote and you went down to the bottom of the page and saw that Bondservant means slave. Maybe, maybe that word causes you to question some things. Maybe you then see that as the excuse. Aha, I found my out clause. This is one of those outdated passages of Scripture that I don't have to listen to anymore. Or maybe worse, you hear that word and throw out all of the Bible. Well, let's... Let's engage with that for a moment. And let's acknowledge that oftentimes we hear the word slave and we think about that word through the context of our nation's history. 
We hear slave and we go back to the concept of uh, forced chattel slavery that existed in the American South. Now, that is not what is in view in this text. It's not that that form of slavery was unheard of in Paul's day, but it was not primary. For many, this servitude was an economic prospect by which one could deal with excess debt or poverty. Oftentimes, it would be a temporary uh, solution to a long-term problem. But even with that, it's not that this was a joy-filled institution. It was bondage, no doubt. And we need to see that the Bible nowhere describes this form of servitude as a God-instituted or a God-ordained institution. However, the Bible does regulate it. And so two quick points. First, 1 Timothy 1.10 explicitly condemns enslavement. 1 Timothy 1.10 explicitly condemns human trafficking, listing it along with a list of other heinous sins that are contrary to sound biblical doctrine. The Bible does not condone enslavement. In fact, it condemns it. But here's the second point. This letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church was delivered at the same time There's two other letters. One was the letter to the Ephesian church, but the other was Philemon. Maybe you know about the book of Philemon. Philemon was a member of this church. And as Paul wrote that letter to Philemon, he sent it along with Philemon's runaway slave, Onesimus. And Paul was telling Philemon in that book, letter that he should receive and be reconciled to Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a beloved brother in Christ. Friends, don't let the mention of slavery or bondservant cause you to write off this passage. It has biblical principles that very much apply to us in the workplace. And so we're going to consider these principles in terms of the employer-employee relationship. We'll start with the employee. Employees work as if you are working for the Lord. Let me ask you a question. If you remember our sermon from last week, we've been looking at these various relationships do you remember last week we, we heard the Bible say that children obey your parents in everything? Now, how much, have you spent, how much time have you spent this week thinking about that call for children to obey in everything? Maybe not much. Now, let's go back to our Tuesday scenario. Remember? Now... This passage is not merely talking to children. It's talking to bondservants. It's talking to employees and saying, obey in everything. Now, how much are you thinking about it? 
How well does that sit? Again, we read that and we start looking for exclusions. We start looking for another footnote beside the everything. But there's not one. So, we start looking for where to add our own. Yet, where are we going to draw the lines? We're going to draw the lines around, I'll obey in everything as long as my boss respects me. I'll obey in everything as long as he doesn't ask too much of me. I'll obey in everything as long as things are going well for me at home. The Bible does not offer those exclusions. The only exclusion that would be offered is if your boss tells you to do something that explicitly contradicts the Word of God. Yet we're too... often quick to apply that in ways that might not be appropriate. Now this passage tells us to obey in everything. And it tells us that that's what it looks like to be a Christ follower. That's what it looks like to live out our union in Christ in the workplace on Tuesday. Does that sound a little too radical for you? Guess what, there's more. There's more because the Bible's not telling us, uh, the Lord God Almighty is not merely telling us to obey in everything. He's telling us to do so with a heart of obedience, not by way of eye service. It's eye service. How many of us are tempted to make sure that we get the right amount of face time in the workplace? Is it really working if no one sees you work? (laughs) We're tempted to to try and get the right proper amount of face time and there's a funny correlation between our work effort and whether or not the boss is present. Does your work effort change? Depending on whether or not the boss is there to watch. Oftentimes we're more concerned about the appearance of of work, the appearance of obedience than the reality behind it. But instead, Jesus tells us to obey with a sincerity of heart. Sincerity means to obey with pure motives. So what are these motives? They're to be pure. Well, it's to love and glorify God. And it is also to love our master regardless of whether or not that master is worthy of the love. And yet, the cultural compartmentalized Christian stays on the surface. Do right more often than not, or at least have the appearance of doing right, and don't ask too much of me and we'll all be just fine. But Jesus loves us too much to leave us with that type of surface level religion. He gets to the heart of the matter by calling us to an obedience from the heart. We've already said it, we, we struggle with this for a lot of reasons. We struggle with it because none of us like authority and this question of authority I've come to see exposes what's going on in our heart more than anything else. But what about work? What's your time frame? 
Maybe if we reconsidered our time frame, it would help. And the text actually leads us in this direction. So think about our time horizon with work. I, I remember there was a, there was a time when, um, when I worked in a manufacturing setting. I worked on the assembly line in a carpet mill. And there was a joke that um, my uh, co-workers and I had. Every day we would kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, and say, well, I'm building my eight hours. <laughs> what were we saying when we said we were building our eight hours? Well, we were just trying to make it through that shift. Or maybe make it through the week so that we could make it to our payday. Well, maybe, maybe you're not thinking about building your eight hours. Maybe your time horizon is a bit longer. When you think about your, your work, you want to keep a job long enough so that you can retire well. Time horizon may be a little bit longer, but the impact is the same. Because when we have short or relatively short time horizons, it leads to either outright rejection of authority or at bare minimum surface level people pleasing. But what if retirement or a paycheck at the end of the week is not our horizon? What if eternity is our horizon? If eternity is our horizon, then our motivation changes so that with a sincere heart, fearing the Lord, we seek to glorify Him. And, Lord willing, we also see our obedience as a matter of our personal testimony of Christ before our masters, our earthly masters. Some of us are hearing all this and saying, but pastor, you got no idea what I have to deal with at work. You have no idea what my situation is with my master. Well, yes and no. But ultimately, the Bible is, the Lord, is not trying to be callous at all. But he's saying, your call is to obey. But I say he's not being callous. The Lord in... And calling us to obey also offers two promises along with it. Two promises to accompany this command. The first promise is a promise of reward. Did you read it? It, it, You will receive the inheritance as your reward. But that word inheritance is important because inheritance tells us that this reward is not merely a reward for good behavior. The inheritance is not earned. The inheritance is given, which means that this reward is gracious and that this reward is given as a result of death, not ours, but the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does that change the way we deal with inconveniences in the workplace? Friends, the Lord is graciously lifting our gaze up toward eternity. I don't mean to minimize the struggle that some of us deal with in the workplace. The pain is real because the world is fallen. But our Lord is lifting us to a point beyond He's lifting us towards eternity. But I said there's two promises. 
The first was a promise of reward. The second, get this, speaks of vengeance. The Lord will vindicate, so we need not worry. He will pay back the wrongdoer for their wrongdoing. Now primarily, I believe this is focused on the harsh master. But the disobedient bondservant is also in view. If in the first promise the Lord is lifting our gaze to eternity to see the joy and glory of being in the presence of Jesus Christ for all time, in the second promise the Lord is lifting our gaze toward eternity and saying, I see you, my child, and I will take care of you. Look, this promise of of vengeance is a promise meant for us but at the same time if we understand the magnitude of that vengeance it would it would impact our heart of obedience so that we would desire to obey pointing our earthly masters to Jesus if we understand the magnitude of this vengeance we would wish that on no one it would call us to serve our masters well So how about the masters, or rather, the employers? The text is calling the employers to treat employees as if you were leading them in the Lord. We've already talked about um, slavery and the connotations that we have around that word. How about the word master? What connotations do you have, what do you think when you hear that word? Do you think to yourself about a detached and self-centered boss man? (laughs) A leader who is only in it for the perks? Maybe if you are here and you are the employer or the master, does any of that resonate? Does any of that describe the way you view your role in the workplace? What about the boss who is cold and detached? You know the old saying, it's not personal, it's just business. What often accompanies that phrase? Focus on numbers, spreadsheets, not people. <laughs> you, you hear that phrase and you know, you know the shoe's about to drop. We, we know it well. Now, certainly, there are hard decisions that must be made in the workplace. If you're an employer, you have to make those hard decisions. But, but how do we make them? And when we have to make them, how do we communicate them? The text is telling the master to be just and fair. In other words, to be worthy of your employee's heart-level obedience. So, Why is this so foreign in our world today? What what shape is the typical organizational chart? It's a it's a pyramid. And and it, it comes to a point at the top. And there are some reasons for that, no doubt, but it does seem to reinforce the mindset that the leader is at at the top and he is to be served by his employees. And yet Jesus 
turned it upside down. Jesus modeled what it is to be a servant leader. And he said to his disciples, you are to serve others. Because the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus turned the organizational chart upside down when he washed the disciples' feet. This is radical, just as radical as the call to the employee. That employer, you're not there for the perks of the office. You're there to pour yourself out for your employees. But as this is radical, just like the call to employees is radical, it also comes with an encouragement for the employer. This encouragement is brief. It is both positive and negative. And it comes with just a few words. You also have a master in heaven. You know, positively, the, the text is reminding the employer, your master is in heaven and your master is Jesus Christ. And your master is gracious and loving. He has given of himself for you that you might be forgiven of your sins. You might be forgiven of your own self-serving mindset. This promise is a promise of a good and just, faithful and loving master in heaven. But this faithful and just master is also the judge. And as a judge, he will not let the unrepentant go free. And so, employers, it does not matter the size of your investment portfolio. This judge shows no partiality. So, employers, be active, be intentional, be just, and be fair. How's it going? Those who manage others... How are we doing with this text? How is it sitting with you? Let me ask it another way. Have you seen this modeled? I have. I told you about one job I had earlier on. There was another job I had a little bit later. I worked in a capital markets corporate investment banking group. It was sort of a jocular environment. It felt like a locker room. Um, it was all about uh, making money and a lot of it, and uh, few, if any, in the room were believers. Except for our boss. I worked for a man named Rod. And Rod modeled this in ways that I have rarely experienced. The people who worked for Rod, very few of them shared his, his deep faith in Jesus Christ. Rod was an elder in his church. And I knew that about him long before I knew what it meant to be an elder. But I saw something different in Rod just as everyone else in the group did. And I remember... Early on, as a young man, hearing one of my co-workers, who most definitely was not a believer, say this about Rod. 
To receive a performance review from Rod is to know that you have been loved. Now, this person knew that Rod was a Christian, and this person probably didn't have a lot of positive connotations toward Christianity, but they saw something different in Rod. They might not have used the word Christ-likeness, but they knew that their boss was loving them well. I often wonder about the impact he made on all of us. The employees around him saw Jesus in him, and I wonder how that vision has played out for them in their lives. I certainly know how it did in mine and find in it encouragement for the master's. In the room. You see, when a master serves well, Christ is exalted. And in the best of settings, we have a picture of Christian masters and masters and Christian bondservants working together in a mutually loving environment. That's the ideal. That's the ideal that we ought to be looking towards. And if you are looking for a job, let that be your vision and your goal. But you and I know that we don't live in an ideal world. We, in fact, live in a world that is fallen. Our masters serve self. Our bond servants refuse to obey. And that includes us. Because it's not just the world that has fallen, it is our very own hearts that are fallen. And so this text enters in to the world and it enters in to us and tells us that our union in Christ is meant to transform our work relationships. And that transformation doesn't merely mean a change of mindset, a change of outward obedience. Our union in Christ transforms our hearts. So again, how is that going? I said at the beginning that the gospel changes everything, and that is a hope-filled promise. But the reality hits hard when we read a passage like this that will not let us remain in our cultural, compartmentalized Christianity. It gets at the heart. This is a hard passage that exposes much, but that is good. That is good because it points us to the reality of our gracious Savior and our need of Him. Cultural compartmentalized Christianity is a life of putting on plates of armor. Plates of armor that will protect the sensitive places. Plates of armor that will protect my heart. It's meant to try and keep out the penetrating text. To keep out the questions that will expose. We put on that armor when we check the box of Sunday church attendance. We check the box when we put the bumper sticker on our car we check the box when we do the things that tell others hey I got this don't worry about me focus on somebody else but this text and those like it are Jesus saying no I want your whole self and so at times 
our gracious and loving master, will violently yank away the armor. And at times, our gracious and loving master will bring us to the point where we feel the exhausting weight of keeping up the image. And there, at that point of exhaustion, comes the invitation for master and for servant. You heard it in our call to worship. We go back there in closing. Matthew 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, our earthly experience is hard because our world is fallen, but the promise of Scripture is that it will not always be so. Because in Revelation 21.5, Jesus promises, Behold, I am making all things new. This Savior who is pulling away the plates of armor, exposing the idols of our heart, is the same Jesus who went to the cross to redeem us of that idolatry. And the same Jesus who promises that there will be a day when all things will be made new. So let us live now with a vision for that day, working and resting in Jesus. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, your word is good. Your word is true. Your word is penetrating. Your word is gracious as it draws us ever closer to you. I pray that we would know the joy of union in Christ. We would know the depths of it and we would live in that reality, ever trusting, ever resting in you. Do this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.